I'm John Steve. This is Pod Russell. This is Pod <laughs> My good friend and uh, Stan Copeland in Dallas at Lovers Lane uh, reached out yep. to you, I know, to talk about this event we're doing uh, on, in November in Dallas called Space at the Table, which is a conversations of hope for the UMC. Mm. And that's a, a great way to like what your new book, Don't Look Back, Methodist Hope for what comes next. I just binge read it and really enjoyed it. And while in our previous conversation, we talked about a lot of the things we're frustrated with, I thought in this section, the people who are coming to this conference are looking for hope. Yeah, you know, and let me just say to you and Stan and all, um, thank you for convening, for talking. Uh, I get, the, I guess I get more emails about this book that say, uh, thank you for talking. We, we can't get our bishop to say anything. Mm-hmm. We can't get our district superintendent to come out here and have a conversation in this church. Uh, they, so just thank you for talking. Good. Uh, I bless you. And, and for convening us. Uh, that hasn't been done as much as it should have uh, across the church. Um, I do believe a major reason we're in this mess is named Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, and, and I would say it, it, the trouble starts with Jesus Christ saying, hey, let's get this straight. I haven't come for the righteous. I've come to save sinners, mm. only sinners. Some of them are sinners who commit adultery and who have lousy biblical interpretation. And other sinners are those who, like said in last week's lection, gospel lesson, God, I thank you. I'm not like those sinners who do that because I have strict biblical interpretation, Lord, and a high view of scripture. Uh, But they're all sinners. And that's the only, and, but, but also, at the heart of our present struggles, Jesus Christ insists on saving us as a group. He refuses to save me alone. And I preached today on the scripture for next Sunday, the gospel, on Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. And uh, I said, Jesus goes through Jericho. Where does he choose to have lunch? Who does he choose to have interaction with? The worst human being in Jericho. In town, yeah. The biggest, most notorious sinner in town. That's the only person. Surely there had to be a lot of poor widows, people who were suffering because of these tax collectors' mm. oppressive oppression of them. Please note, he only went to the house of a rich man who is the most horrible sinner in town. And there he said, today salvation has come to this house. Hmm. You're saved. Um, (laughs) I ended my sermon by saying, I've talked to a lot of self-identified progressives. I've talked to a lot of self-identified traditionalists, two terms, by the way, Jesus would have never used. Uh, And um, they can only agree on one thing. They hate this story (laughs) they wish jesus had never done this and 
I'm sorry that Jesus insists on saving people I don't like or agree with. I, I, but, and don't lie to me, that's one of the hard things about being a pastor, is you got to be a pastor. Jesus insists on saving people I don't enjoy working with. He insists on saving people that are so wrong on so many things, and yet, when I've complained to him about the quality of the congregations I've served, uh, Jesus says to me, I'm sorry, I'm the Messiah, not you. This is my idea of the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, yours is too limited, but I'm, I'm calling who I'm calling. And so for me to walk away from a conversation with you saying, I'm sorry, you'll never change. Uh, this is the one issue that is my test case or who I will have conversations with and who I will worship God with, you're not allowed to do that. N nor, and, and this may challenge some people, but I I'm not allowed to say either. I'm not allowed to say, let them go. Let them go. I am sick of them. And all that, mm -hmm. let them go and start their little, I, I'm, I don't think, Maybe this is the bishop talking in me, but I don't think I'm free to say that to any Christian. I have to say what you mentioned, unity. I have yeah. to keep working on that. My oh. model is St. Paul, and I love it where St. Paul will just hammer some church about, stop this and look at you, and you ought to be ashamed of yourselves, <laughs> and you call yourselves Christians, and you've gone after these false ideologies. And then Paul will say, now, you are the body of Christ and members of it. <laughs> And you think, what? <laughs> but I love that tension. Yeah. And to me, that's the tension of all ministry. Yeah. And the sin is thinking that I can somehow purify the church. Jesus has got some swell parables against that. Or that I get to determine the boundaries of the kingdom of God, who's in, who's out. I, Jesus. So that's how I can say that I think a lot of the tension is the predictable tension you have when you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, who saves the world in a different way than I would have. I, I love, I, I think of it this way. It's like the church is made up of two kinds of people. There are different kinds of churches. There are churches made up of broken people who know they're broken. And they are all about tearing walls down. Hmm. And then there's a church made up of broken people who either don't know it or refuse to admit it. And they're all about building walls up and there's grace and there's law and the people who are broken yeah. and know it tend to err on the side of grace. That's the people right. who are broken and refuse to see it kind of tend to go with yeah. law. I love that your, your book, you, you have a great section for a lot of us have gone through a lot of grief. We've already talked about your adept, uh, great, uh, pastoral care qualities, uh, your sensitivity, your ability to really just, you know, say the comforting thing at just the right time. You do a really good section here. And we actually went through some of your grief steps in our staff meeting this morning and, and some group work, which oh, wow. I thought, was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. Well, but, um, thank you. But talk about just for a second here. I know everybody's going through grief and we want to look ahead, but just the grief work we have to do. You do talk about this in your book. You know, maybe our dictum ought to be St. Paul saying, 
we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Uh, we grieve, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, being a follower of Jesus does not keep you from grief. It, it maybe throws you into a lot of grief you wouldn't had mm. had you not met Jesus. But we grieve as those who have a hope. And it is not hope for ourselves. It is not hope that we're going to finally get our act together and, and finally get the perfect church. Uh, it, it's hope that he will have a church. He will have a people. I think the big question for the United Methodist Church and for any church that wants to succeed uh, us, the Global Methodist Church, the question is not, will Jesus Christ be Lord? Will he have a people? Hmm. But will we be part of that? Uh, <laughs> what about our arguments, our book of discipline, our way of organizing? What is keeping us from being part of his mission in his world, his reclamation? That's a much more pressing question. I remember talking to a pastor recently and he's serving an inner city church that has had unbelievable success in being a church welcoming to people from the streets, uh, people who are stuck in this desert of this inner city, uh, being a church for them. And I've said to him, how have these discussions gone in your church? And he said, I can't get a good discussion going with them. Um, <laughs> he said, partly my people are so addicted, are so hungry, are so fearful, are so far down, they, they ain't got time for discussions about biblical authority or sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. That is so far down on their questions. Uh, their questions are, is the Lord with us or not? Uh, Lord, do you care? Uh, Lord, what is your plan now? Uh, Lord, what, what does your future look like? And, and it made me mm -hmm. wonder, I wonder if maybe our church, we have congregations that get distracted because that's kind of what you get if you try to have a church that's 62 years old, I think that's the average age of the average United Methodist. Is that what you'd get when you get a church that is basically all white? Uh, is that what you get when you get a church with people who are reasonably affluent, like the churches I've served? Maybe we get distracted from that core mission. I've come to save sinners, and I'm going to do it. That's not the question is, are you going to be with me when I do it? Are you going to be part of that great adventure? Or are y'all just going to try to keep church here, keeping up the grounds of this expensive building and keeping up the budget? You know, so this could be a time for us to refocus. I, I know a congregation that was thinking about disaffiliating, bad word I, I'm against, um, but they were thinking about leaving. And someone asked the basic question, what is there about this congregation that is that hmm. is is keeping us as a congregation from fully participating in Christ's reign? What what let's let's hear a discussion about that. Hmm. Well, people went around the room and said, 
I'm part of this church because I love uh, our worship. Uh, I'm I, when I came here, worst time in my life, I met Jesus, and I raised my family. That you know, etc. Well, they got around the room. So then the pastor said, "Okay, what 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 is the problem? I'm not hearing any problem uh, related to our part in Christ's mission." <laughs> well, I think it's so important to stay focused. Yeah. And by the way, uh, I've been in some discussions talking about problems with the United Methodist Church. And by the way, I always tell people, there ain't no problem that you have noted that I have not noted before you in print. And uh, there's nothing negative you've said about the Council of Bishops as nasty and low and uncharitable as stuff as I've said about the Council of Bishops in print. So anyway. <laughs> But we'll go around the room and talk about, oh, the Methodist Church ought to do this, and we didn't do that, and we should have been there, and how dare they say this. Uh, and and then, by God's grace, there's often somebody in the room, if the church is functioning as it should, younger, newer, somebody who hadn't been a Methodist maybe for about six months, who speaks up and says, y'all don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how good you've got it. Yeah. And I remember the woman who said, I was in a church that respected the Bible. The Bible was the authority on everything. The, the preacher used it to beat everybody over the head with and to beat them into submission. We believed in the power of the Bible, and it was used mainly to shut people up. Well, I ain't going back to that church. I discovered the United Methodist Church, and I discovered for the first time the bible is a book of life yeah. not a book of death somebody else in the room said well after i was the victim of two demagogic out of control preachers i swore to god i would never again be in a church with a preacher who thought he was god and who was totally unaccountable to anybody but the laity and let me tell you I'm in the Methodist Church because of bishops, because I think clergy need to be watched. And I said, wow, could could I get you to kind of ride around with me and give that speech everywhere I go? Uh, I, I've never heard bishops defended so well. Thank you. That's beautiful. So I'm just saying some of us may to be reminded what a gift Wesleyanism is. Uh, mm -hmm. to the world. What a gift the United Methodist Church is. So, so I say to pastors, talk to some of your newest members and ask them, why did you join the United Methodist Church? Was it just that you were dumb and didn't know an unfaithful church? Was, <laughs> was that the problem? So we're having to tell you? Uh, no, it, it could have been that you were, you were more right about the church than we are in our criticism of the church. You know, you, you also say that our problems are fundamental problems. They're not going to be solved by leaving or even preserving the United Methodist Church um, because Holy Spirit movement provocations are not in denominations, but in Methodist congregations who jump on board with God's mission to God's world, one neighborhood at a time. Yep. You, you talk a lot in this book about... I mean, you kind of weave back and forth in the way that you normally do, kind of 
shooting a little pot shots every once in a while <laughs> at where they need to be shot <laughs> and an equal opportunity offender. That's what Will is um, on the UMC and on GMC and everywhere else in between. But you keep weaving in. There's a scarlet thread in this book about the mission, the focus, getting back to it. You even say wow, when you're you. talking about. No, it's it's really good. And um, you get entertained. But also you have this section, I think it's chapter seven, where you talk about leadership how leaders go first and that we have had a congregational system that tends to reward pastors for not rocking the boat, not really leading change. Congregations love to sort of stay as they are. Um, and I just really like how you talk about we're called to be, we're called to take risk. I love your feeling that mission is important. I, I wonder, I wonder, are a lot of churches having these discussions because they have no mission <laughs> they have no point uh, i have served churches wow. I, I remember i went to a church and had an interim pastor an old navy chaplain and uh, he said to me on his way out as i was moving into the study his office uh making it mine uh, he said this church loves to fight better than any group of people I ever saw, they love to argue and fight. And I said, Ooh, and he said, son, be careful. Don't turn your back on him. Don't turn your back on him. <laughs> and he said, uh, I said, well, I, have you got any advice for me? He said, yeah, I got some advice. You need to get them fighting Satan. Um, rather than, if they don't fight Satan, they're going to fight each other. And I said, Oh, how do I do that? And he said, uh, Pray, pray. The Lord, 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 give it to you. And I swear to you, um, after a difficult three months, my first three months there, we had a little ministry at the local jail uh, where we would try to help youthful offenders with toiletry kits and all. Well, one of the women reported that uh, she said something about some abuse she witnessed at the jail. And the sheriff told her, why don't you church women just look after your business back at the church? I'll, I'll handle the jail, okay? <laughs> and I said, uh, okay. Well, the next Sunday, I said, uh, I, I can't preach today because I'm, I'm just so upset. I'm, I'm sad, but I'm angry. I said, one of our dear women, uh, someone who has got the greatest heart for mission I've ever seen, Gladys. Gladys, stand up. Gladys was working during her ministry at the local jail, and the sheriff, the sheriff told her, why don't you church women just go back to your church and do your work there? I'll handle the jail. Well, somebody in the back said, what? He, he's got two boats and a lawnmower, a riding lawnmower, too, on a, on a sheriff's salary. Where'd he get that? I said, well, you may ask. But I said, I don't know about you, but I'm just finding it real hard to sit here and take this kind of dismissal of our saintly mission work by this sheriff. Uh, well, buddy, the Holy Spirit took off from there. People started yelling. I was afraid they were going to start throwing hymnals. Uh, and uh, so long story short, that church got in gear and they basically said to the city council, uh, there's a problem in this town and we're not going to sit by. We're going to fix it. Mm. 
uh, at our jail. And anyway, um, and when I left that church three years later, I said, uh, I, I was told y'all love to fight among yourselves and split up and take sides. I haven't experienced any of that. Uh, and but so so I'm I'm just wondering if mission to get people passionate and arguing about things that are integral to the mission of Jesus Christ, rather than things that are tangential. Well, you 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 said uh, I think I can't remember what section it was in. You said any congregation that attempts to be obedient to the Great Commission is going to find that extroverting to make disciples is going to make that congregation better at making disciples and converting yeah. the world. I think that's the thing. Yeah. It feels like to me the this major difference between a, a Methodist church that lives and dies. The major difference. I say this from my vast experience as a church observer and bishop is introversion or extroversion. That's right. Isn't it interesting that most of the stuff we're arguing about right now is purely introverted. Yes. It's all How different. should clergy have sex or not have sex? Um, I, I appointed hundreds of clergy. Never did I have an SBRC committee say, it's so important for us first to determine how does this pastor have coitus? That's very important to us. That, that has never happened in the history of the United Methodist. Anyway, uh, internal concerns, and, and I think that's sick. Um, our concerns ought to be external, such as what can we do to have a church that is hospitable to people under 50? What, what would that take? What, what would we need to do? That's an interesting question. What, what would we need to do to get back in touch with this neighborhood? 50% of the people at this congregation commute in from 10 miles away. That's not right. How did we lose this neighborhood? What can we do to get back in touch with this neighborhood? And in the book, I give some examples of mm -hmm. churches I served that got back in love with their neighborhood and found thereby a more interesting mission than the mission they had assigned themselves of how can we keep these older adults okay. comfortable and complacent during their last years. Uh, so well, one of the things that's a mission, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, one of the things you say is that we have to free our congregations from captivity to your generation. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's painful for me to have to say. And I've said of the Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline is a book that reveals the pathologies of my generation. My generation feels if there's any good worth doing in this world, the only way you do it is by passing a rule to force you to do it. And I can't trust you to do it, uh, you know, on your own and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I have to pass a rule to make you do it. And uh, that's my generation. I, I, I take full responsibility. Uh, I, I would say one thing that surprises me is that I think one thing I enjoyed about my student days was I got to be part of the civil rights movement. I got to, I got to be part of that conflict. I got to say, uh, hey, unless there's conflict, nothing's happening. You know, it does. I do wonder how we got from there to mm -hmm. clergy leaders and others who say, 
uh, oh, conflict, I'm going to avoid it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to hope it'll go away. I'm not going to engage. I was just in a conversation with a young woman who's pastor of a United Methodist Church in Alabama. She arrived at the church, surprise, we've all decided to go with the Global Methodist Church. And she said, this superintendent doesn't know about it. And they said, this superintendent's never been here. He's never talked to any of us. How would he know? Anyway, she said, I started work and I decided I'm going to have as many courageous conversations as I can have with people. And she said, fighting back tears, she said, last month, our church passed a resolution that they wanted to share with all their churches in the conference. We are staying UMC. Hmm. We, we are now focused and excited about what we need to be working on here. And um, I like, I, but, but that required a pastor willing to venture having courageous conversations. So I think that's needed. I had a superintendent say to me, as God is my witness, I will never use the word grace again, or gracious, or charitable listener. Because he said, our bishop overuses those expressions. And our bishop, basically what that is, is code for, uh, we're, I want us to have a discussion about this, but I want this to be polite, and I want it to be with graciousness and I want to be charitable and I and I and basically that's code for I don't have the courage to hear a conversation that makes me uncomfortable. I've found in my conversations with the few traditionalists who have conversations with me, uh, <laughs> I have found those conversations are unpleasant because a lot of the stuff these guys are saying is true. Mm -hmm. uh, they quoted to me some statement by some bishop that <clears throat> some outrageous statement they were incensed about. I said, well, the tragedy is that's not the dumbest thing she's ever said. <laughs> she, she's actually said things worse than that. Uh, but, so, you know, it, and, and when they say the Methodist church bureaucracy is too expensive, amen. When they say the book of discipline is dysfunctional and needs to be sliced in half, amen. But then when they say, therefore, we're leaving, I say, what? Yeah. What? We agree on so much. You're leaving. No, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a decent conversation with anybody who says, by the way, I want to have a conversation. But but I just want you to know, by the way, if, if this doesn't go my way, I'm going to walk and you'll never hear from me again. Okay, now let's talk. What kind of conversation is that? You know, there's a study that actually yeah. came out recently from 2015 to, to, to 2021, I think it is, or 2022. And in 2015, the, the question's basically like, if you have a thought on something or you believe something, um, how many of you would be open to listening to another point of view, even though you really believe it strongly? And it was like 27% said, mm -hmm. I, if I believe something strongly, I'd be, I'd, or, or what the, the inverse of that, 77% of the people said, I, I would, 73% said, I would be open to listening to other thoughts, even though I think that. In 2021, it went down to like 33%. Mm. 
So 30, basically people who said, I believe in something, and but I'd listened to other points of view. That's just in six, seven years that that's just changed. Yeah. Where now people have so much certainty. So like 67% of people say, if I believe in something, I'm not listening to anything else. I mean, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. That I remember the distinguished pastor who said to me, if we separate and divide, we're basically saying to America, a divided, polarized, politically charged America, and I'm not even talking about Texas or Florida, but uh, that, that we're basically saying we're no better than you. Jesus Christ gives us no means of being together with one another. Uh, we're just as bad wow. as you. We, we, we are you. Uh, I don't think the Constitution gives me any ability to really listen, to be united, much less to love my neighbor, uh, who may be quite different than I am. But we actually believe Jesus Christ makes possible mm. for me to be family with people I don't like, with people who say things I wish they wouldn't say, with people who are so wrong on so many things. They're just waiting for my next sermon to be converted. That, that's the way I see it. Uh, well, that, that is a bold Christological claim, but it is the, absurd, the, the wild claim the church makes every time we gather. That's right. And at our best, we demonstrate that. And I want a church where we can have an argument and somebody can say an argument, by the way, the only reason I'm listening to you the only reason I am not shouting at you and trying to shut you up is Jesus Christ has forced us to be together in the first place and is making me try to see you at work, uh, him at work in your life. But I ask you to try to do that for me too. Uh, yeah. that, that's church. So we gotta wind oh, gosh. This, we're going to wind this down a little bit for time for you and you've been with us and, um, okay. uh, I, but, but I want to ask you a couple, one or two things as we think about space at the table, which is what the, what the gathering is about. I think in terms mm -hmm. of, I've been really impressed with the uh, Bishop uh, Muller's letter about how the church is going to be made up going forward. United Methodist church is going to be made up of traditionalists and moderates and progressives. And you've already talked about that. We're going to have space at the table for that. everybody. Yeah. But it's going to be the people who are going to stay. And I like, I like his, uh, I was talking to him recently, and he doesn't like the word compatible because he thinks it's more of a psychological, sociological term. He likes the, the word unity mm, because he thinks point. it's much more theological. Yeah. Mm. And I, I'm really impressed by that. We're going to have him on in a couple of weeks. But I, yeah, I, think, I don't like that word either. Yeah, what, what do you think about going forward what's a word for all of us to say hey we, we all have to create space at the table for everyone even though we may not agree what does that look like um just to note that since my book has come out one of the things that surprised me i thought i'd get hammered by traditionalist uh because maybe at times in the book i mocked them and ridicule some of the proposals so, you uh, <laughs> shocking well it turns out traditionalists must not read or at least they don't read my books uh so i hadn't heard from many of them uh 
the, the surprising thing is the progressives who have written me and said, how dare you try to keep these people in our church? Mm. Uh, we oh, want okay. them to leave. Get out. And I write them back and I said, I'm sorry, you can't say that <laughs> as a Christian <laughs> about another Christian. Amen. Anyway, that's right. So so I like you acknowledging it. It Having a place at the table makes demands upon all of us uh, in different ways. Yeah. I, how can we? I think it's called Jesus Christ. I reminded people today in a sermon, Jesus Christ was crucified. He was criticized from start to finish, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, but not only in Luke. Uh, he was criticized not because of his biblical interpretation or his ritual life, uh, <laughs> prayer life. He was criticized, as you know, from beginning to end. This one welcomes sinners. And number two, that's why I like you at the table, and eats, eats with them. With eats them. With them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, they, and, and the examples of that, of course, uh, there's a plethora, in, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, that uh, this one receives sinners and eats with them. And every time we gather at the table of the Lord in the United Methodist Church, we say he's still hanging out with a kind of riffraff that made righteous people want to kill him to begin with. Uh, he's still receiving and welcoming sinners. Mm -hmm. a, at his table and this implies to me if you're going to be at his table you you can't be squeamish about who is at his table <laughs> with you yeah. you're gonna have to break bread if you're gonna break bread with jesus you're gonna have to break bread with those that he has invited to his table mm -hmm. it's a basic christian expectation so it is dangerous even blasphemous for me to say Lord, I, I want to be at your table, but I don't, I, I'm, I'm bothered by these people around me. Uh, you, we're not allowed to do that. No. Yeah. Rather, we're allowed to see in our sisters and brothers how gracious Jesus has been to us to invite us to sit at Amen. that table. All right, so so real, I love your image. Open yeah, table. real quick, what gives you hope hmm. for the United Methodist Church? I, I'll say Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ loves to save sinners, mm -hmm. only sinners. <laughs> that gives me hope. I don't think he's going to be deterred in that project. I think he will continue it. I hope I'll get to be part of it uh, for the remaining days that I have. Uh, I, I hope that th my church will will be part of that project, mm -hmm. that He's going to get what he wants. I have to find the gospel in a few words. My definition is God is going to get back what belongs to God. Yeah. And will will do anything, even a crucifixion, to get it. Uh, hmm. And therein is our hope. Yeah. And I think the, the hope for the United Methodist Church is we have to turn the corner. We have to, we create a new narrative. All our time is spent like today or on earlier podcasts. We have yeah. to spend so much time and energy refuting the lies and misinformation. Right. It's, you know what? Yeah. Who cares? At this point, let's go. Yeah. Let's get focused and put our energy on the things Thank that are going to make a difference. Thank you for your part and, and for this open table gathering uh, to, uh, 
to to craft that new account of who we are and where we'll be going. Thank well, you. we look forward to getting you in Texas. I know Stan wants you in Dallas. I want you back in Houston. I'm just telling you, uh, you know, Houston's I, better. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble from all the Dallas people now. <laughs> I don't, now I don't get that. You, you've blown your invitation. Yeah. I know. I'm going to get in trouble. Hey, thanks so much, Will. We appreciate you, man. It's always Thank great you. having you on. The only Thank two you. times the word coitus has ever been used on this podcast was today and the, the last, last time, time you were here. Okay, that's, that's better than the other words, but for it, okay. <laughs> but it's right. good. Hey, we love you, man. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Blessing. Okay, right. thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.